Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Our guest today is a rare commodity. He's one of those ag blokes you can truly say is a guru, an unrivaled expert in his field of expertise. Terry McCosker has been at the pointy end of so many land use and animal profitability ideas and schemes, it's difficult to list them all. Suffice to say, his current obsession, carbon sequestration, carbon credits, carbon farming, tops them all. Terry McCosker, welcome. You're on the grill with Beef Central. How are you, Terry? Very well, thank you, mate. Now, in the seminars, uh, meetings, uh, webinars, etc., that you uh, run just about every week, what is the first question front and centre from the farmers and graziers of Australia? I guess there's a few common ones. Is uh, What's the risk? What am I getting into? What's it worth? Am I actually going to make money out of it? And I guess another one is, is it actually real? You know, is it is it there yet? Yes, one of the, one of the questions is, is it real? You can actually see a, a solar farm or a wind farm, but you can't see carbon. Uh, in your, you can't see carbon. You can't put your hands on it, can you? No, that's right. But I think it has got, after a very, very long time of talking about this and working on it, I believe it has now reached a point where it is actually here. In fact, is the carbon issue the most important, at least one of the most important issues uh, facing Australia's farmers and graziers at present? Well, I don't know whether it's the most important issue, uh, but I think that environmental restoration generally is certainly one of the biggest issues. There's a two areas that are going to affect people within the next five to eight years and I call them the two big M's and the first one is money and that is that money down the track is going to be tied to proof that we're looking after the environment in some way and that's on its way and the other is the market and the market is starting to you know pull through and want to want to know whether food is carbon neutral or net zero and and there's a big difference between those two things that's very confusing do you think there'll be a premium for food that is marketed as uh, carbon neutral i can't see there being a premium on it uh i can see there being discounts if it's not um i think that's probably the way it'll go and when you've got a market like now where the demand is outstripping supply i think you'd sell anything but when that turns around and the supply starts to outstrip the demand, then the market will become much more choosy on where they buy stuff from. And it's not only beef, it's showing up in lots of areas. Yes, it's, a, it's, it's an opportunity, isn't it? But, um, and we'll get to the money side. But first, let's establish the parameters. Uh, and this, I think, is very important. Not all farmers or grazing properties will be appropriate for carbon sequestration and carbon farming. No, and my expertise is in soil carbon, so I'll, I'll talk more about that. And yeah. I think that once the rainfall drops off or becomes very, very variable, probably where you've got native pastures uh, and higher temperatures, so I think that's going to become quite um, – was really unknown yet whether we can sequester carbon in those circumstances. Uh, so – it's going to be suitable for rainfalls generally above 500 mils um, where you've got better quality pastures, better quality soils, and you can actually get in and change your practices and start um, sequestering carbon. I think there's going to be some work done over the next few years looking at the north and uh, you know, the Mitchell Grass Downs, and there is some 
preliminary evidence suggesting that uh, legumes, deep-rooted perennial legumes added to those soils will actually uh, help sequester some carbon. So uh, 500 mils of rainfall, relatively uh, cool temperatures, uh, clay-based soils maybe, are they uh, they're the major prerequisites? Yes, so those three things uh, are very important, but I think overriding all of those is the management itself. Yes. Uh, without managing the landscape to sequester carbon, uh, none of it works. And, you've got to, uh, and I think so that's the critical one. And you've got to put that work in for 25 years, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, you're going to get several, you know, a couple of returns on that work anyway. You'll get an increase in productivity in your own land and generally an increase in carrying capacity. Uh, you'll have landscape that's more resilient as you add more carbon to the soil and then potentially an income from carbon as well. Could, could you draw a line on a map uh, roughly covering the areas which may be best suited for, um, for ca- soil carbon? I'd probably start uh, north of Mackay somewhere uh, and head west in the uh, until I hit around the 500 mil uh, ISO height and then just head south and uh, go all the way down to Victoria and South Australia uh, and then stay east of that line. Now that's where you know we've got knowledge and, and more certainty that you're going to be able to sequester soil carbon. But it doesn't mean in the long run we, we won't learn more and figure out ways to do it in the lower rainfall areas. So, so you wouldn't eliminate those western properties and the properties across the north completely at the moment? No, and, and the far western properties have got opportunities uh, with things like mulga and uh, you know, offsetting with vegetation carbon projects, uh, vegetation being trees. That's probably their main opportunity at the moment. And... There may well be opportunities for methane reduction and things like that uh, going forward. And there are some people in the north uh, that are involved in um, in herd management projects where they're getting an income for changing the productivity of the herds. One question that I found from landholders is uh, what sort of country gets the tick? I mean, landholders, I've been talking to some at least, uh, saying that you're going to, the carbon issue might be more suitable to... Uh, tiger country, and they they don't want you to use any of that good flat farming country. That's not the way it works, is it? No, it's not. Um, in fact, you must be continuing to produce. Uh, if if you, you're a soil carbon project, you must be continuing to crop and continuing to graze it. Yep. Um, it's not a matter of destocking it. When you get into some of the vegetation projects, <clears throat> you know, in Mulga and, and uh, things like that, well, then you've got to destock it to allow the trees to grow. But it's a completely different system to soil carbon. So uh, now we're planting. What sort of trees are planted for, for, for your carbon emissions mission on any particular property? What, is there any particular type of tree that you favour or do you take local species, native species, etc., and use those? Uh, generally, you would, you would be looking to increase the density of local, locally grown uh, trees. There's a little bit of concern. You need to be a little bit careful uh, if you're looking at projects based on trees. And uh, we did a study a couple of years ago and took three properties and and looked at what income they could potentially get from allowing their trees to thicken up and grow. And what we found was that none of those properties took it up, even though there was you know four or five million dollars in it for them over the next ten years. And the reason they didn't take it up is the risks associated with not being able to 
in that out when you need to. Potential risks associated with uh, reduction in animal production as you as you move forward and and your trees get too thick. Um, and also then what's the impact of that on land values? Now that's compared to a soil carbon project where you're um, putting carbon into soil, which is increasing productivity all the way, and that's likely to have the opposite impact on land values. Indeed. So one of the concerns was that if we keep adopting these schemes, we'll have less and less land to grow fibre and, and food. Uh, but with your scheme, with, uh, with the uh, way you're doing your carbon schemes, that's not the case. No, that's not the case. In fact, we have to be producing, and we're actually going to be producing more and producing it better as we add more carbon to our soils. Back in a moment after this short message from our sponsor, Alenco Animal Health. Don't let your cattle suffer the setbacks caused by buffalo fly. Combat buffalo fly with Corral Patriot and Silence insecticidal ear tags. Providing up to four months of long-lasting fly control. Alanco has you covered with a range of ear tags to suit your rotation program. Contact Alanco and find out how you can win the buffalo fly battle now. Back now with Terry McCosker from CarbonLink. I assume these schemes, of course, that uh, are going into properties all over Australia right now, including the ones that you're involved with, I, I assume they're registered, are they? Yes, they have to be registered. Uh, so there's a fairly a very vigorous uh, and rigorous process that you've got to go through to get a project. Firstly, before you can start one, it's got to be registered with the Clean Energy Regulator. And that's a that's quite a process, and that can take um, five to six months just to get registration. And there's there's a lot of paperwork involved in that. Uh, so before you can actually baseline a project or uh, start you know new activity on a property, you really need to have have it registered first. Otherwise, you can't get active. So the carbon credits going forward that are going to be worth the most money in Australia is the active, which stands for Australian Carbon Credit Unit and that equals one tonne of CO2. Uh, so to get an ACU, you've got to have a registered project and then follow a methodology determined by the Clean Energy Regulator. So you, someone's keeping an eye on, all, eye on you all the time when you're making these schemes. How many schemes are registered so far in Australia? In soil carbon at the moment, we're up around about 220 that are registered, and quite a lot of those are quite small. That's going to significantly increase over the next few years. I can't tell you off the top of my head the number of, of forestry or vegetation projects that are registered, but it's significantly more than that. And that's where all the money has been coming into agriculture over the last uh, probably five to six years. It's uh, been through the forestry projects in southwestern Queensland and uh, western New South Wales. I assume they're easier to do. Is that, is that the case as well? They are much easier to do. Yeah. Carbon is by far and away the hardest and the most complex, but I, I believe that from a productivity point of view, it's also the most beneficial. And it, it doesn't exclude, as we move forward, it doesn't exclude accounting carbon in trees on your place as well. What's happened in the past or up until now, actually, the you if you had a, uh, a forestry project on your landscape, you couldn't put a soil carbon project under those trees and vice versa. From next year, that will change, and so that we can do a soil carbon project under trees, and if you allow those trees to grow to a certain level, 
then you will be able to get some carbon credits out of those trees as well. Wow. And if you reduced your fertiliser use, for example, and, it, and reduced your methane emissions, then all of those things can come together and give you carbon credits, you know, three or four different sources for the one property. Uh, and that that sort of system should be should be introduced next year, uh, 2023. That's, uh, that's what you call being flexible, isn't it, Terry? I, I, I didn't think that would ever happen, but it is happening. That's fantastic news, I think. Yeah, we've been waiting a long time for a whole farm approach to this, uh, and it now is on its way. Now, Terry, are any of these uh, schemes so far earning incomes? Uh, when and how does the landholders start making money after they initially get the scheme rolling? Yes, they are. I think the uh, the latest number I saw that there was about $189 million a year being paid into the farming community for carbon which is actually bigger than the maize industry and a few other industry, agricultural industries. So that uh, is, is going to start increasing. And in terms of soil carbon, it's brand new, and the first big chunk of um, accuse will hit the market this year. So in the combined scheme, soil carbon and forestry, $189 million a year into farming communities. That's correct. Uh, and that's been going for quite a few years, uh, and that's with the very low price. So... Generally, the price of those credits is below um, $13, $14, $15 a tonne. And the uh, price of carbon at the moment, CO2, is around $30 a tonne. But only three or four weeks ago, it was sitting at $58 a tonne. So I think that you know, if you increase the price of carbon, then all of this stuff becomes a lot more viable for primary producers. Indeed. And the government made a crucial announcement uh, a couple of weeks ago that income from carbon schemes would now be treated as on-farm rather than off-farm income. That's that's an extraordinary difference in uh, taxation, etc., isn't it? That's a really big step forward. Uh, prior to that, it was treated as off-farm income, so you would have paid an enormous amount of tax on it, whereas now you will be able to bring that into yeah, and average it with your farm income uh, and treat it like farm income, which is, you know, it was the farm that produced it in the first place, so it makes sense to be treated that way, but that's a big step forward. It is, isn't it? Yeah. And and it's uh, agreed across the uh, political divide, so even if there is a change of government, that will still apply with, the, with if the Labor Party is the next government. I expect that one will. Um, the carbon systems generally are bipartisan, and in fact a lot of the, the carbon farming initiative was introduced by the, the Labor Party, so I think that uh, you know it's safe and, and these Schemes are safe either with either party. They're well entrenched in legislation and in in commerce now. But the the tax one uh, is just just announced uh, very very recently, uh, and I presume that that will be there under either party. And, and that will give both parts of the carbon game a lot of impetus, I suspect. Yeah, well, I think that you know there's a number of things coming together. There's a market developing outside the government now for carbon credits. The price of carbon credits has risen. The tax change uh, has occurred. Um, the, we've got new methodologies and new ways uh, of doing things that were released uh, you know, just before Christmas. So there's uh, a whole lot of stuff coming together all at once. Um, and we've also got now you know, proof of concept uh, at scale with things like soil carbon. So I think that, that um, it's all coming together. Time for another break from our discussion with Terry McCosker about the intricacies of carbon. Let's hear a brief message now from our sponsor, Kelly's Finance. 
Established since 1988, Kelly's Finance Group have the finance solutions when it comes to agribusiness lending, from property loans and livestock funding to machinery and vehicle finance. They are the experts in arranging finance on behalf of their clients that not only ensures market-leading interest rates, but more importantly, financing that is suited to your agricultural operations, not your lender's bottom line or their preferred security position. With access to an array of specialist and traditional finance providers, there's no job too big or too small for the Kelly's Finance Group team. Contact Kelly's Finance Group today for an independent and confidential discussion and how we can add value to your business moving forward. Back now with Terry McCosker from CarbonLink. Can I go through an example and if you can give me a, your best guesstimate on how much money a farmer stroke grazier would make from, say, a 4,000 hectare property, some cropping, mostly grazing, well, several hundred cattle, how much land will be allocated to a carbon scheme on that farm? I'm talking about carbon in the soil, soil carbon for a start. So let's take a 4,000 hectare property then. Um, if you've got steep country or heavily timbered country uh, and you, you will have creeks and you know areas that are, that are too heavily timbered to drive through, those are excluded from a soil carbon project because we have to actually be able to get over it and uh, be able to get a drill rig on it and pull some soils out. So generally, the, what we're finding is that on average, uh, about 70% of properties are actually going under the project and there's, uh, you know, around about 30% of the areas are excluded. But that's just a, a general number that's been happening so far. The process there would be then that um, if somebody was interested in that, they would need to put in an expression of interest to an organisation like CarbonLink, for example, and then you would get a, a free assessment of what, what income you're likely to make out of that. And that now would be based on the reality of the data that we have from, say, central Queensland and the Burnett and southern, southern Downs and into New South Wales. Then if you decide then that it's worth doing, there's a whole lot of things that you need to understand about it and things you have to do. You have a 25-year obligation and you have a 25-year period over which uh, you can sell credits from that land. The The numbers we've got at the moment would suggest you would get somewhere between a half a million and a million dollars a year income um, out of carbon credits, uh, average annual income, although at the moment that is lumpy. Uh, so you basically kick off and do a baseline and that baseline also includes your emissions. Uh, and then rough, around five years later, we measured again and uptick in the soil carbon would then be counted uh, towards that. The credits would be issued out of that uptick in soil carbon. And those, those credits have to firstly be audited and ticked off by the regulator and then they're, they're saleable item. So they basically go into um, like a bank account um, and all of your credits, so... Each individual ACU um, has a, an electronic signature or certificate and they go into your bank account and then you can sell those uh, whenever you like. You don't have to sell them uh, when they're registered, but um, yeah, if you want a bit of income, you can flick a few off and then keep a few till you hit the next drought um, and then sell them off then. That's, it's a very, very good way of, of lowering risk within your business. So when the, when the credits are calculated for a property, 
I assume that the carbon footprint of that particular farm or grazing property will be taken into account? Yes, it is. So one of the real areas of confusion at the moment is the difference between carbon neutral and net zero. Now, carbon neutral means that you have offset all of your emissions. Net zero, which is where Australia is heading and all businesses are heading, means that um, you have reduced emissions above a baseline. So when you do a soil carbon project, for example, the last five years emissions are calculated in your baseline. So when we go forward from there, if you sell uh, credits, then if your emissions actually went up, then the increase over your baseline is removed from the increase in your soil carbon credits. So that makes you net zero uh, because you have not increased your emissions above a baseline. And so if you're doing a project for 25 years, you will actually be net zero and be able to sell all of those credits for the next 25 years. So where would you sell them, Terry? Would you sell them, do you sell them domestically or are you allowed to sell them overseas? So at this stage, they have to be sold domestically. Uh, and the reason for that is that all countries around the world want the credits that are created in their countries to be credited against their Paris Agreement targets. So they would be saleable principally to major emitters and companies that want to offset their carbon footprints in Australia. And there's a lot of interest in that now. The, the demand for credits now is, uh, is outstripping supply, and I think that will last for some time. What, 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 uh, if you got, Terry, you have to ask, have you got any guesstimate or forecast on where the carbon price might go in, say, five or ten years? Well, my guess, you know, if I had to guess, would be that by 2030, you would probably be looking at a carbon price of about $80 a tonne CO2. And the, the thing that makes this work uh, for producers is that what's measured is soil organic carbon. If you increased your soil organic carbon by, say, a tonne per hectare per year, that gets multiplied by 3.6. And that multiplier, so you, you, you add one tonne of carbon, but you sell 3.67 tonnes of CO2. And it's that multiplier that really makes it work in agriculture. And it's the only multiplier that I'm aware of in agriculture that works in favour of primary producers. Well, <laughs> just about, I agree. Now, look, the recent fracas about carbon credits and the clean industry regulator, should farmers and grazers be concerned or is that just part of the growing pains of this fledgling industry? Uh, it's just part of growing pains. Um, the, the integrity of Australian uh, systems is uh, the best in the world. In fact, I just got some data last week where there was um, around about 20 methodologies from all around the world to compared, and the Australian system came out uh, better than any, any other system in the world. So I think it's growing pains. Um, you know, to get these things going, um, there was encouragement to get projects up and running quickly about six years ago, and and I guess there's a few legacy issues uh, left around those. But um, though the integrity of these systems is very, very high and the emitters uh, know that Australian carbon credits have a very high uh, level of integrity. There's uh, a, potentially a lot of money here, Terry. Is it uh, reasonable to advise farmers and graziers when jumping in, uh, be very careful and buy beware, caveat emptor, etc.? 
be aware of uh, who you're getting to do these projects with. They're very, very complex. So if you take a soil carbon project, I think the current methodology is around 250, 280 pages long and about 40, 50 of those pages are equations. And there is there must be 100 or 1,000 rules in there. So if you if you step outside those, those rules and those lines, then um, you won't pass the audit and, and you won't actually sell the credits. So you need to be very, very careful and you need to, you know, pick people that are firstly signatories of the uh, code of conduct for doing carbon projects in Australia, and that's a very strict code of conduct. And you need to pick people that have got experience uh, in this field. There's new people starting up every day, and um, and I think there's there's a lot of danger in that. And there's also some big companies um, offering to do this now fairly cheaply, and uh that's quite dangerous in terms of the number of credits you're going to end up with at the end of the day. Yes, uh, Terry, where there's human behaviour and there's a lot of money involved, there's possibly some dubious uh, behaviour. Uh, from Carbon Link, Terry McCosker, Carbon Guru, uh, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thanks for your time today on The Grill with Beef Central. Thank you, Kerry. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Alenco Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group. 